If you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to the Gospel of John chapter 20. Gospel of John chapter 20. Welcome to our 45th message in the Gospel of John. We have two left after today. But just so you guys are aware, the kind of the elephant in the room, Easter is always a day of pressure for pastors. So this is the Super Bowl Sunday for pastors. Yet the problem is you guys know my playbook. So you guys know where this is going. You know exactly where we're headed. In fact, my wife this morning, understanding the pressure of the day, encouraged me or tried to encourage me. Today she said, Micah, just relax this morning. Don't try to be witty, funny, intellectual, or cute. Just be yourself. I don't know what that means, but in all honesty, let me just say this. The pressure is off this morning because Jesus has done all the work. He has done all the work, and we are here this morning celebrating the God of impossibilities. This day marks the central confession of our faith that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, or the tomb was empty so that we don't have to be. We don't have to be empty, and we're here today because we believe that Jesus literally and physically rose from the dead. We're not here believing that this is an analogy or a metaphor. It's not like we're saying that Jesus got knocked down and got back up so that we can, when we get knocked down, get back up too. No, we are declaring that Jesus physically and literally was killed. He was in the grave from Friday until Sunday morning. And on Sunday morning, he physically burst forth from the tomb, turning everything as we know it right side up. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a story that we tell. It's a reality that we believe because it changes everything. Think about this. Christianity did not begin with people believing something. Christianity began with people seeing something. They saw the risen Savior. And in seeing him, it changed everything. Listen, if Christ has risen from the dead and we're here this morning declaring that he has, then nothing can stay the same. Nothing can say the same in our lives. I think of the words of the German philosopher, Wolfhart Pannenberg. I use this a lot, but he says this, the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong, is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it's a very unusual event. So we would say impossible event. It's an impossibility to rise from the dead. And second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. So if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, it changes things. For it, Listen, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then it doesn't matter what he said. But if he did rise from the dead, then you have to accept everything that he said. If Christ is risen, it's not a matter of what he said or whether or not you like the things he said. The whole picture is this. Did he rise from the dead? And we are here this morning saying that he has. And here's what we know. Something happened in first century Israel. A boulder was dropped in the ocean, and it's still producing magnificent, gracious ripples thousands of years later and thousands of miles away. Like an asteroid that falls from the sky, the resurrection of Jesus Christ should make an impact in our lives. Like a massive earthquake that moves the ground from underneath our feet, the resurrection of Christ it shakes things up in terms of how we see the world. The resurrection throws us off balance. It rocks the boat, so to speak. It turns our neat, orderly lives upside down or, again, right side up. And let me just say this this morning. 
If you have never found the resurrection of Jesus Christ at least a little hard to believe, you have not taken it serious enough. If you haven't found it hard to believe, you haven't taken it serious enough because it is an impossibility. It's something that is impossible for us, but not for him. And here's where the Gospels end differently than other books with heroic characters. Think about this. At the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph dies. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses dies. At the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua dies. And yet at the end of all the Gospels, Jesus lives. He lives. And the point of today's message is that the resurrected Savior meets us, hear this, right where we are. He meets us right where we are. So I'm going to lay before us this morning four truths. We're going to take them one by one. We're going to read a few verses, unpack the first truth, and do all the way through our four truths this morning. So we're going to begin with John 20, verses 1 through 10. I'll let you keep your seat because we're going to move fast today. And here we go. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Let me pause and say this. The, the stone was moved from the tomb not to let Jesus out, but to let the disciples in. Amen. Verse 2. So she ran and went to Simon and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So the first truth I want us to see this morning is this. Jesus meets us in our humanity. He meets us in our humanity. On that first resurrection Sunday, we are introduced to Mary Magdalene, more on her in a second, who first discovered the empty tomb and she immediately runs and tells Peter and another disciple, one that we are told that Jesus loved. And here's a little background. The Gospel of John introduces us to a disciple who is described as being the one that Jesus loved. This description only appears in the Gospel of John. It appears five times, and here's where we need to see kind of the strange picture. This is John who's writing this Gospel. He is referring to himself. So five times he describes himself as the one whom Jesus loves. Now some might say what he's doing is he is just identifying himself as one who is loved by Christ. Others are saying that his humanity is shining through because I don't know if you know this, in our humanity we compare a lot. We compare how people treat us versus how they treat other people. We compare so many different things. So maybe, just maybe, John in his Humanity was saying, Jesus told Peter he loved him four times, but he told me he loved me 12 times. That means he loved me more. Maybe, just maybe, that is what he is saying, but ultimately he's identifying himself 
being loved by Christ. Then, on three different occasions, verse 4, 6, and 8, John includes, get this, that he outran Peter to the tomb. So John also wanted us to know that he and Peter started out for the tomb at the same time, and one of them won the race. So John is saying, I won the first Resurrection 5K. Like, there was a Resurrection 5K, I won it. And although John beat Peter to the tomb, he did not go in. And the point that rises to the surface for us this morning is this. Even on the greatest day in human history, John, the disciple, the one who defines himself by the love of Jesus, even him, this disciple, couldn't get out of his own way. His humanity still shines through. And the truth is this. Listen, we all bring our humanity, all that we are, to Easter Sunday. We bring all of who we are to this day. And praise God, Jesus meets us right where we are. He meets us right where we are. And Peter and John saw two miracles. I hope you didn't miss it. The first is there was an empty tomb. It was a miracle. The second was the fact that a single man actually made his bed. He, he folded the, the sheets. Okay, just one miracle, the empty tomb. But they believed. John believed. So the question for us today is this. Do we believe? Do we believe Jesus meets us in our humanity? Secondly, let's look at verses 11 through 18. Verses 11 through 18, it says this. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. She said, or Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have yet not ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So secondly, Jesus meets us in our sorrows. He meets us in our sorrows. So Mary Magdalene was a woman who was very unique in her love for Jesus because of what Jesus had done for her. Jesus had forgiven her. He had set her free. In Luke 8, we read that, or we read that Mary Magdalene was delivered from having seven demons in her. So before meeting Jesus, her life was a living hell. Now in the Jewish Talmud, it says that anyone who is from Magdala, if you were a woman from Magdala, you were a prostitute. So it gives us a picture maybe of what her life was like before. Yet Jesus delivered her. Now think about what Jesus said. He who or she who has been forgiven much loves much. If you understand how much you truly have been forgiven, you love 
much. And Mary loved much. So Mary finds herself outside the empty tomb, overcome by sorrow. She looks in and angels ask her this question in verse 13. Why are you weeping? Now, do you find that an odd question to ask a woman in a cemetery? If you were to go to a cemetery today and you were to see a woman standing by a tombstone crying, I pray that you would not go up and say, why are you crying? That would be a bad question to ask anyone at a cemetery. But think about this. Think about the confusion in the question for the angels. So the angels see Mary. She's crying, and they're saying, why are you crying? And here's why they ask that question. Because all of heaven in that moment was rejoicing because Jesus was alive. And yet here on earth was one of Jesus' followers crying outside an empty tomb, weeping in despair. And for the angels, they were saying, how can this be? We're rejoicing. How in the world can you be crying? And just think about this encounter with angels. We know that angels appear in 34 biblical or 34 books of the bible 17 books in the old testament 17 books in the new testament they show up in the life and ministry of jesus at very specific and very important times think about this angels show up to announce the conception of jesus first to mary then to joseph they show up to announce the birth of jesus to the shepherds they are at the temptation of jesus ministering to him after the temptation and here at the resurrection they show up once again to announce that jesus is alive and notice if you remember reading they're sitting they are sitting and when i read about an angel on one side and an angel on another side my mind goes back to the Old Testament and to the mercy seat. If you remember the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, the mercy seat set on top of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat had two angels facing each other, one on one side, one on the other, and blood was sprinkled all over the mercy seat. Think about what, think about what Mary must have seen. An angel on one side, an angel on another, and probably blood on that slab where Jesus had been laid. It's a picture of the mercy seat. And in the Old Testament, the mercy seat, Jesus or God basically says, I will only meet you here at the mercy seat. But when we get to the New Testament, Jesus is our mercy seat. Let me be very clear today. The only place that God will ever meet with mankind is in the person of Jesus Christ. The only place he will ever meet us is in the person of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus appears to Mary. So follow with me here. Mary turns around. She sees Jesus. She doesn't recognize him. Some believe it's because glorification had taken place in Jesus. But she, maybe another reason is this. She doesn't recognize him because she's consumed in her grief. She's consumed by her sorrow. And that is my fear today for those who will be in this place of worship. That you are here. And Jesus is here. But because you are consumed by other things, you'll miss him. If you are consumed with other things, you will miss him. For it was not until Jesus called her by name that she recognized him. And here's, here's what I know. Easter is not a day of new messages. Again, you knew this message was coming. You knew what was coming. Maybe you've heard this message over and over and over again in your life. Yet you've remained the same. 
you've remained the same. Yet this morning, something is different. And let me tell you what it is. Jesus is calling your name. He's calling your name this morning. You know it's him, and you know what it means. You know what he's asking you to do. He's calling your name. Don't ignore him. It reminds me of what God told Israel in Isaiah 43. It says, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Fear not, I've redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. Jesus meets us even in our sorrows, which leads us to the, the next encounter. Let's look at verses 19 through 23 together. And it says this, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Pause here for just a second. And let me say this. All throughout the Bible, never do we read Jesus tell, telling lost people to come to church. Never in the Bible does Jesus say, Hey, if you're lost, go to church. What Jesus does say over and over again, If you're saved, go to the lost. Over and over and over again. If you're saved, go to the lost. Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So number three, Jesus meets us in our fears. He meets us in our fears. Think about this first resurrection evening. It's not the celebration that we would imagine. The disciples are hiding out for fear that they could be next. They're thinking if they did it to Jesus, what will they do to us, his followers? They had made sure the doors were locked. They barricaded themselves in the upper room, yet Jesus came and stood in the midst of their fear. Here's what we learned. Locked doors can't keep Jesus out. And let me say this. There are some here this morning. You are here physically. You're here physically, yet the doors are locked and the barricades are up. Meaning you came here with a subconscious fear that something in your life could change today. Therefore, you are right this moment trying to keep him out. But here's the beautiful thing. Jesus is a master locksmith. He is a master locksmith, which means today in your life, Jesus can go where no one else can go. No, there is no place that he can't invade. There's no place. Jesus, his resurrection from the dead enables him to do what no one else can do. There's no one like him in all the universe. And the point here is this, that he came right in the middle of their meeting. He didn't stand outside the upper room, call out through the wall or through the window as a distant deity. No, he wanted them to see him, to know him, to believe him, to rejoice in him, and to love him. And that's what he wants for us today to know him. He wants us to have him draw near into our lives like no one else can. To have him help us in our fear like no one else can. And to have him come to us, close to us, not calling us from a distance, but coming right into our midst, right into our lives. That's what I pray this morning. 
that we would recognize his presence, that we would respond to him even in our fears, even in the fears that we have. Then that leads us to our fourth truth. Let's look at verses 24 through 29. It says this, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, I and place my hand inside, I will never believe. So basically, Thomas is saying, Unless I have the same experience that you have, I won't believe. So verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said for the third time, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. And here is the fourth picture. Jesus meets us, hear this, in our doubts. Jesus meets us in our doubts. And let me just be very clear this morning to you. Jesus is not afraid of your doubts. He's not afraid of your doubts. He's not afraid of your questions. There's a difference between doubting and coming to Jesus anyway and unbelief. Now, if we doubt and never come to Jesus, it will very quickly lead to unbelief. We must be careful there. But think about this. You can tell a man that there are six or 735 trillion stars in the sky, and the man will say, yeah, that sounds about right. But you lead a man by a sign that says wet paint, and he has to touch it. You know, it's amazing how we are built in that way. And bless his heart, poor Thomas. Poor Thomas. No other disciple was named for their faults. But Thomas is forever remembered as doubting Thomas. Listen, he wasn't there when Jesus first showed up. He refused to believe unless he could see evidence. He wanted to touch Jesus, to see Jesus. And there's a lesson here about the importance of gathering together and not missing out, but we don't have time for that today. But here's the deal. Thomas had no doubts that Jesus had died. What he doubted was whether Jesus could really be alive again. And praise God, Jesus met Thomas in his doubts. Jesus was patient with Thomas. Jesus didn't come into the room and just look at Thomas and say, Thomas, you are such a hypocrite. Thomas, I can't believe you are such a doubter. Thomas, get yourself together. Jesus said none of those things. Jesus stood in that room, was patient with him, and gave, it, gave Thomas what he needed most, which wasn't evidence. What he needed most was Jesus himself. And that's exactly what Jesus gave him. And think about this this morning. What would happen to all your doubts in the presence of the resurrected Jesus? What would happen to all your doubts if Jesus showed up? Listen, if you know that your doubts would vanish at the presence of Jesus, then you are admitting that your doubts aren't the problem. What you're saying is what you believe about Jesus is the problem. Because he is alive. He is with us and look back at verse 24 when we look back at verse 24 thomas is given another name so in verse 24 what's the name that thomas is given the twin so thomas is given the name twin so although the bible never identifies who his twin was i have a hunch today that there are some of you sitting in this room this morning that you are thomas's twin 
you are his twin. You think like Thomas, you doubt and you reason like Thomas, yet praise be to God, you can also believe like Thomas. You can believe like him. The amazing truth of the first Resurrection Sunday is that Jesus still meets us where we are in our humanity, in our sorrows, in our fears, in our doubts, or put it differently, in our mess. But Jesus doesn't leave us there. And in Jesus meeting us where we are, we are able to believe. In fact, the essence of John 20 is believing. There's two verses that end John 20. We're going to look at them next week. But verses 30 and 31 said this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, John's saying, I wrote the things I've written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. You may believe. The word believe in the the Greek is pastuo. And it does not mean just believing in who Jesus is. It doesn't mean just believing what Jesus has done, although that is part of it. It means believing who Jesus is and responding appropriately or rightly to him. So let me say this. The the question before us in closing is, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God the the same way that you believe that Joe Biden is the president, and that's not a political statement at all, that's just a fact. If you believe that, have you fulfilled the conditions in order to be saved? And the answer is no. No, you haven't because the devil believes Jesus in a very real way. In fact, when Jesus came on the scene, we are told that the demons themselves said, we know who you are. You're the Holy One. You are the Son of God. So the devil and demons believe and know that Jesus is the resurrected Son of God. What is missing is not believing the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that. What they won't do is delight in that fact. They won't make Christ their treasure. They won't make Christ their Lord. They will never surrender to him. But when the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life, when Jesus begins to call your name, you no longer just to believe, you no longer just believe in Jesus or certain facts about him, you are led to delight in him, to surrender to him. That's what belief is. Do you believe in the resurrected Jesus in that way? Have you surrendered to him and trusted him as Savior and Lord? Listen, Thomas's confession must become our confession. Thomas saw Jesus and Thomas said, my God and my Lord. You are God and you are Lord. You are my personal Meaning, it doesn't matter if your families are Christians. It doesn't matter if your aunt was a missionary. It doesn't matter how amazingly godly your family is. If you have never met Jesus personally, turning to him as Savior and Lord, then you don't know him. You don't know him. Is he your God? Is he your Lord? I want to end this morning with the command that Jesus gave to Thomas, which is the command that I believe Jesus is giving to us right now. We're going to put one more verse on the screen. And it says this, Then Jesus said to Thomas, Do not disbelieve, but believe. Don't disbelieve, but believe. Listen, are you overcome by the worries and cares of this world? Don't disbelieve, but 
believe? Are you being controlled by your doubts, your fears, your worries? Don't disbelieve, but believe. Are you distracted by the failing treasures of this world? Don't disbelieve, but believe. Are you convinced that you have it in you to save yourself, which is the worst kind of unbelief? Don't disbelieve, but believe. Here's how we're going to close this morning. I believe with all my heart that the word of God has been proclaimed, that the Holy Spirit is here, and that Jesus is calling us. I don't know exactly how, but I do know this. I believe you do. Maybe you're here today, and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior. I would beg you today, in light of all the truth of God's word, to cry out to him right now from the depths of your heart. Confess that you are a sinner, that you cannot save yourself. Confess that you believe that Jesus did for you what you could never do for yourself. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. For others of us, let me say this, for others of us, there is a certain thing called Christian atheism. What I mean by that is this, we call ourselves Christians, but we live as if God doesn't exist. He's an afterthought, meaning if you haven't thought about God and, and looking back, since the last time you went to church, you're living as if there is no God. Are we living as Christian atheists? And if we are, remember, the whole picture isn't about Jesus. If Jesus were to come and all of our doubts would go away, it's not an indictment on Jesus, it's an indictment on what we believe about him. Oh, that we would have our eyes open today. He is calling our name. May we respond rightly to him. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand if you are able. We're going to call Brother Frank and the musicians forward at this time and let us pray together. Oh God, in this quiet yet heavy moment, we come before you, the one who, Jesus, you did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus, you died for our sins. Jesus, you rose from the dead. And according to Revelation 1, you are alive forevermore. Never to die again, you are alive. And Jesus, we pray today, we know that the resurrection means that you meet us right where we are. You meet us in our humanity. You meet us in our sorrow. You meet us in our fear. You meet us in our doubts. You meet us in our mess. The beauty is, Jesus, you meet us. And Lord, we can choose to look at you, to turn our backs and to walk away unchanged. Or we can choose to hear you call us by name and respond rightly to you to grab a hold of you like Mary did, to confess as Thomas did, my Lord and my God, or to do as John did when he saw the empty tomb. It just says he believed. He believed. Well, I pray today for anyone in this place that doesn't know you, that today would be a day, Holy Spirit, that you would work in their hearts and lives, and Holy Spirit, that you would bring them unto salvation, that they would be born again of your spirit today, that they would turn from their sin, turn from trusting in themselves, and turn to you, Jesus, trusting you as Savior and Lord. I also pray for believers in this room, that God, you would deliver us from a type of faith that is void of your life, that we just live based on things that we confess or things that we know, but Lord, your presence isn't real. Father, I pray today that Jesus, as you're standing behind us or maybe even in front of us calling us by name, that we would respond to that which we know you are calling us to do. Finish this time in a way that only you can. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have decided to follow Jesus. 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 No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back the world behind me the cross before me the world behind me the cross before me the world behind me the cross before me no turning back
can't just sit here. He is Lord. Let's stand together as we sing that chorus together. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. Every Dismissed. Yeah, I know. You've been dismissed once again.